The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited for the Word this morning. Oftentimes, we're in the middle of series and things like that, and the series is a great thing because I believe God directs you to the series, but then once you're in the series, you're somewhat obligated to stay in it. We finished a series last week, and now this week, there was an opportunity simply to say, what do you want to speak to us this week? And I believe there's a need for peace. I want to get into the word concerning peace. I want to talk about peace. I want to share some thoughts about peace, but not just so that we can hear about it and know what we're missing out on. I want to talk about how to walk in peace and how to obtain peace, the things that we can do, so that it becomes a practical message that could be applied to our lives and get a really awesome result. And I believe that's what the Word of God is intended for. So I want to give you a few things that we're going to find in the Word. These are things you can look forward to. These are actually things that you can maybe keep from wanting to doze off halfway through and say, you know what, I want that second one. I'm really going to pay attention for that. So here we go, a few things. One, what God possesses. There's something that God has. And it's important for us to understand that God possesses it because we all want it and we all need it. And once we know that he's the one that possesses it, then we know where to go to get it. We're going to find out what God has. A second thing that we're going to find is how to have righteousness. Now, we all want to live righteous. We're in here because Jesus has done a great work for us. He's washed us of our impurities and our corruption. And now we're living our lives. The choices and the decisions that we make are important. It's the difference between right and wrong. We need to function in righteousness. We're going to find out how to do that. I think that's an important thing to find. And then the last thing that we're going to find in the Word this morning is how to be a son or a daughter of God. How to be a son or a daughter. How to be a son of God according to the scripture. Now this is important to me. It just means something to me. I I know the moment that I became a Christian, I remember when it happened. I remember there were things that I hated about my life, things that I wanted out of my life, that I couldn't get out of my life. And then all of a sudden, I became a Christian and I had the authority to do something about it. It was great. That authority, though, wasn't my authority. That authority belonged to God, and it came into my life through Jesus. I was functioning as if I had received something, an inheritance, so to speak. And we know that inheritance is passed to children. So to be a son of God is to communicate something great. It's to say that all that is of his kingdom and all that he has is at at our disposal to use and operate according to his will in this world. It's more than just belonging to a religious organization. It's actually stepping into an authority, a position of authority to take dominion over the world as he always intended. So to find out what we can do to become sons of God is important to me. It goes beyond simply being a member of a church. I want to get into the word. I mentioned we're going to find out what God possesses. I want to do that right off. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your phones, you can quit playing Angry Birds and you can open up your Bible app. Does anyone play Angry Birds anymore? I'm the only one. I'm going for three stars on all levels. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It reads like this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. I like entirely. God is interested in every aspect of our lives. There's not a single part of it that he loses interest in. He doesn't get bored when we start talking about your body. Sometimes we can get, get so hung up on spiritual things that we can just see God as interested in our spirit, but God's very interested in our body. That's why he cares about how we treat our body and what we do with our body. Every aspect of our life, he's designed to sanctify entirely. And may your spirit, your soul, and your body, that's all of you, be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work that God's doing. But I love that God is identified in the beginning as the God of peace. Now, you know me, I'm a bit of a talker, and I like to hear some feedback. I'm going to ask you just to say, God of peace. peace. Yeah, see, that's important to me that we catch that. God of peace. That word of there is interesting. I think sometimes we can just read right past it. But it's a word that indicates a possession. Like some of you have heard this example before because we talk about of often. You could say this is Preston's Bible and you'd be right. It belongs to me. Or you could say this is the Bible of Preston. Either way, you're indicating possession there. So to identify God as the God of peace is to identify that God possesses peace. If we're looking for peace in our lives, in any way, shape, or form, we need to go to the source. Peace is what God possesses. There's all kinds of empty promises in this world to make a provision of peace. And even temporarily, it may seem like there's an element of peace involved in those false solutions. But there's only one source for peace. Because God possesses it. He's the God of peace. I want to give you another passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read verses 6 and 7. Now, Isaiah chapter 9 is one of those passages that maybe comes out, unfortunately, only around Christmas time because it talks about Jesus and the coming of our Savior and, and who He is. But I'm telling you, this is one for the refrigerator door. This is one to make a bumper sticker out of. This is one to saturate your life with. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. Do you see the emphasis on peace there when it concerns the government of Jesus Christ? Now oftentimes when we hear the word government, maybe we, you know, bristle up because we think of taxes And in Texas, we think of the attempts at gun control and we get real mad, right? But consider the government of Jesus Christ being absolutely perfect, completely righteous. There's absolutely zero corruption in it. His justice is perfect. And the expansion of this government, the increase of this government, is identified as the increase of peace. Now, oftentimes when we think about peace, we have to first think about war and subduing people and controlling people and dominating people, and then we'll have peace. That's not peace. It's control. It's controlled compromise is really what it is. When you can beat someone down and break them down to the point that their will is broken and then they surrender. That's kind of our definition of peace. But there's a definition of peace that's heavenly. 
to come into awareness that there's one who cares for you and your household, your family, your children. That there's not anything they wouldn't do to see you released from captivity and set free into freedom. Set free into freedom? You get it. And his government increases with peace. His government is just his rule, his instruction, his counsel. We have a say in that. Because he won't crush your will and subdue your will. We have a say in that. I get to decide every single day, is Jesus my governor? Is he leading my life? His counsel is there. The question is, am I responding to it? Am I going to alter the things that I might want to pursue the things that he might want? He's identified as the Prince of Peace. Now, I remember for a long time, I thought that meant that he was the Prince of everything that was peaceful. So if it was chaotic or something like that, it just wasn't something Jesus was interested in. And I've come to change that perspective a little bit. There's all kinds of stuff in my life that has been chaotic, but as soon as Jesus became prince over it, it became peaceful. Whatever Jesus becomes the prince over, whatever his rule and his authority comes over, stops being chaotic and begins being peaceful. The things that don't make sense begin to make sense. All because of an awareness of his lack of corruption, his perfect love and affection. Never looking for an angle in your life. Never giving a gift with strings attached. But always looking to elevate the sons of God. I want to give you a passage of scripture for your notes here concerning peace. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're not familiar with the book of Galatians and its references to the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you can write it down. Galatians chapter 5 begins in verse 22. And it speaks about the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit being love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, fruits of the Holy Spirit can become kind of cliche. We can just say that and it sounds very churchy. But I think when you consider the word fruit, you ought to just think. I always picture an apple tree. Why it's apples, I have no idea. But it's the product. It's what's produced by that living thing. When you and I are functioning and operating in the Holy Spirit, being Spirit-led, allowing the Spirit of God to flow through our lives and our actions, these are the things that are meant to be produced. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness. These are the things that are meant to be the result of following the Spirit of God. So I can come to this conclusion, if I'm in need of peace in any situation, I have to stop and ask myself, is Jesus Lord over this situation? Have I chosen to follow his instruction concerning this, or am I doing it my way? If I'm not finding peace in my marriage, I have to ask myself, is Jesus Lord of my marriage, or am I being a stubborn jerk? I've got news for you, oftentimes it's the latter. When I'm not finding peace in ministry or peace in my labors outside of ministry, when I'm not finding peace in those things, I can pause and ask myself, 
Is Jesus Lord over this, or am I letting ambition drive me? Is there something selfish inside of me that's pushing, that has got my priorities jacked up, and now the result is chaos? We have a lot of say in the amount of peace that's in our lives. And oftentimes, I think we deal with chaos, and maybe we come into a church service and look for almost a quick fix. Boy, I hope Pastor Jared plays that one song, and they turn the lights down, and then I can just get lost in it and forget my problems for just a moment. It's almost like we've made praise and worship the equivalent to heroin, where you get a fix, and then you go back into the world, and that same chaos is there. But we have something that can be permanent everywhere that we go. The choices and the decisions that we make to put Jesus' head over whatever we're dealing with. And I can tell you this, it's amazing the results that you'll get. But it's easier said than done. There's been times that Jesus has asked me to let go of things that I didn't want to let go of. It was hard to do. But you do it. I won't go into the details, but there was a situation where I believed I was absolutely wronged. Wronged and at the level of being stolen from. At a high level. From a dollar figure perspective. And in going through all of my options, my options included all kinds of things, aggressive and mean, potentially violent. And then I just come into the understanding and awareness that Jesus would have me let it go. And while that was something I could hear and, and wrap my mind around that that's very Christ-like, when it came time to actually do it, it was amazing how hard it was. It was one thing to hear it, one thing to say, yes, sir, and then it was another thing to do it. And you and I have this call. I believe this is the cross that we bear daily. Are we willing to let the counsel of Jesus Christ influence our lives? Is His name wonderful counselor to me and to you? And that can be difficult at times, but there's wonderful promises that come from it. When we're able to overcome that difficulty, this blessing of peace and prosperity is so far ahead of anything that we could gain on our own. I want to give you a passage of Scripture for your notes concerning peace. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. I want to share this with you to simply reveal the importance of peace so that it can become a priority in our lives. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. The word reads like this, The mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. But my love and kindness, this is God speaking, will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken. I think it's really important for us to see that God's covenant in our lives is a covenant of peace. Just like the Word says that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. His covenant with us is one of peace. Peace needs to be prioritized in our lives. I want to tell you something that is an issue in my life. It's kind of, I don't mind showing my clay feet a little bit. That just means I don't mind telling you about my weaknesses. There are times where I am more concerned with being right than I am there being the existence of peace. So that means I'm willing to argue. 
I'm willing to fuss, willing to whine, and then in some cases, even willing to manipulate or twist stuff that I could just say, well, it wasn't exactly a lie. It's embarrassing to admit that, but it's true. Because there's something inside of me that's so driven to be right. Well, I've got to be right. Surely I can't be wrong. That I've prioritized being right over the existence of peace. And I want to catch the value of peace. The importance of peace. So that even in the midst of conflict, I really don't care who's right or wrong. I just care what Jesus says to bring peace into the situation. And if it puts me on my knees repenting, so be it. Because I want God's covenant in my life. I don't want to talk about it on Sunday and not live it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm glad I got that right. I want to function in His covenant, operate in His covenant. I want people to see the results of His covenant in my life and in your lives. And desire to have the things that we have through Jesus. I want to prioritize peace. I mentioned before we're going to find out how to have righteousness. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands or, or do anything publicly that might embarrass. But I do want your wheels to turn for you to think. Are there struggles that exist in your life? Things that you know God's not pleased with. Things that you know are sinful or that hold you back. And then let's call it what it is, not sinful, because that kind of just means wrong. But how about transgression? That means rebellious. That means you know it's wrong, and you do it anyway. When we have those kinds of things in our lives, oftentimes we don't like them. We want them gone. But sometimes it's hard for us to shake free of those things. And I love to minister to those things. We minister deliverance here. We cast the devil right out of you. I'd love to see that happen for a lot of you. That was supposed to be a joke. I go through it. I've sit down. If you ever see a couple of our leaders around here and they look like they've been put through the ringer, they probably just got done ministering to me. So you can just say, God bless you and may the Lord give you peace. But there's something that I want us to catch here that I think can help us all. Help us all to shake the things that seem to latch on. The problems that seem to repeat. Well, we have good days and then bad days. Well, some days marriage is just God's design and it's bliss. And then other days it's absolute hell and it feels like I married Satan. That was her talking, by the way. But I want us to catch this because I think it's one of those things that if it gets overlooked, it can have a negative impact on our results. Where we can become so convinced that we need righteousness, I need righteousness, I need righteousness, I need righteousness, but we don't know how to get it. And that just leaves us frustrated, worn out, exhausted, and maybe even cynical to the point where you just begin to think, well, that doesn't work. I've tried it. When really the reality is we just didn't do it right. James chapter 3, verse 18, I'd like for us to take it down in our notes. As it concerns righteousness, there's something that I think is important. I want to see righteousness prevail, not just in my life, but all of our lives as a church. I want to see amazing things take place. God, deliver us from afflictions that we've never been able to break free from. I know that He is a deliverer. 
James chapter 3, verse 18, it reads like this, The seed whose fruit is righteousness. Now, we're going to break this down in a second, but I'll just read it so that it doesn't get too choppy. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let's take the word seed and let's just change it out with actions. Because all that seed is is something that carries the potential to grow. Your actions have the potential to grow. I could produce actions that could totally tick you off and produce a growing conflict. I could produce actions that really bless you and increase a growing fellowship and relationship. And I didn't mean to point at certain people, especially on the conflict side. But just consider that the seed, that thing that has the potential, that one little thing, like one little word that can start off something wonderful or one little word that can start off something terrible. That's seed. That thing, that action, that word's got potential. And that potential that produces righteousness, the potential that produces righteousness is going to be sown in peace by those who make peace. So if we're wanting to produce righteousness, if I want to produce righteousness in my marriage, produce righteousness with my sons, produce righteousness in the church, if I want to produce righteousness everywhere I go, if I want to produce righteousness shoveling dirt and shoveling rock at work, if I want to produce righteousness, it's going to mean I'm going to have to do it in peace. I'm going to have to be a man that makes peace. And that opens up something amazing to talk about. That peace is made. That's pretty cool. And it's also terrifying at the same time. Because oftentimes we deal with things that we can't control. They seem chaotic. And we want to come and have God give us peace. Just give me peace. Just give me peace. But yet throughout the scripture he refers to the making of peace. There's even the anointing upon our lives to be those that make peace. And I know that God loves us with an affection that just surpasses our understanding. But the closest comparison that I can think is with my children. There's things that I know that they're capable of doing, but yet they'll still come to me and ask me to do them. And there's times where I think, well, that must be how I look to God, only a lot worse. <laughs> because they're nine and I'm not. But to begin to understand that peace is made will set us free from sitting around waiting for it to just happen. Hoping that one day in that situation there's just going to be peace. God sent the peace elves in last night and they made peace happen right here. I was kind of hoping that would work out and sure enough it did. God is good all the time. But he's called us to do something. He's called us to take action. He's called us to speak. He's called us to perform his will. He's called us to do this, to make peace in situations where there's not peace. And I think a great example of this is Jesus in the middle of a storm. I mean, if there's one thing that you were to ask any of the men in that boat, what can't you control right now, they would have said the weather. Well, I can row, I can bail water, I can swim to shore, I can do all these things, Jesus, but I can't make that stop. And I don't think he did it to show off. I don't think it was like, guys, watch this, I got this one. This is called being the Messiah. Here we go. 
I think he just wanted to set an example. You really think you don't have any say in this? Peace. And when he said peace to that storm, he's not giving it advice. He's imparting it. I use the word impart a lot. And it's to my detriment if you don't understand it. I wish I had the dictionary here. I'd look it up and we'd read the definition together. But to impart is to put something in. To impart peace. We have the chance to impart peace where there's chaos and where there's aggression. We can put peace in it with our words. We can put peace in it with our actions. A lot of times our words and actions can put peace into a situation through silence and even retreat. Not in a cowardly way, but in a refusal to be sucked into conflict that would be aggressive and violent. To maintain control and operate as God would anoint us to in self-control. Rather than being controlled by the situations around us, I choose to control myself and excuse myself from this until we can deal with it in a godly way. Peace is made. And we have the ability to make it. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here, and I want you to stay with me. Peace is never accidental. Because peace is made, because it doesn't happen, you can be guaranteed it's never accidental. Think of your car in the parking lot. It came off of an assembly line. That means it was made. It was assembled. It was put together. There was never a day when the workers at GM just rolled up to the yard there and just saw a bunch of cars sitting. Well, they happened. They made them intentionally with a blueprint. And by the way, you have a blueprint for peace in every aspect of life, relationships, labor. You've got a blueprint right here. God gives us instruction. His name is Wonderful Counselor for a reason. But peace is made, which means it's never accidental. It's always intentional. It's always pursued. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture for your notes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It's an instruction. It's an instruction for all of us. Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now, when I read that, I enjoy taking some liberties with it. Some paraphrasing, not to change the definition or the direction that it's going, but to enhance it, because I don't talk like that. But pursuing peace with all men is equated with the sanctification that's necessary to see God, to see Jesus at work in my life, to see the results of Jesus at work in my life. This is revealing to me how important it is for me to pursue peace with all men all the time. To never be content with the situation. Well, I like that guy, that guy, that guy, not that guy. But to come to a place where I understand I have been forgiven many things, atrocities. I am the chief of sinners. And therefore, how can I look down on any other man? 
I will pursue peace at all times with all men. And without that being a priority in my life, it's going to be very difficult for me to see God move. Have you ever considered this? I've found myself in these situations before. But where certain things are at an all-time high, while other things are at an all-time low. Let me explain what I mean by that. Like, good teaching is at an all-time high. You can log on to brotherso-and-so.com and hear some of the best sermons you've ever heard in your life. If you are interested in certain styles of music, good worship is at an all-time high. You can find any CD at a Christian bookstore, and it's just produced so amazingly. Meetings and seminars. I do administration here and receive the mail. There are times I wish they would just send me the cost of the stamp instead of send me the junk mail. We get letters all the time to attend this conference, attend that conference. Hey, come to my seminar. Triple your church growth. Increase your men's involvement in church, women's conference, all of these things. They're at an all-time high. We've never had more of those things. But then you take a look at things that are seemingly at an all-time low. Sustained marriages and, and health and fellowship and relationship. Morality and integrity. There's all kinds of things that are being challenged and they're having a horrible impact on Christianity. So there are times where I consider passages of Scripture like this. And I wonder, is that the state of the church? Are we in a place where we know pursue peace with all men as a Scripture, but we don't put it to practice? We're not seeing God move in our lives we're not seeing that sanctification. Or maybe it's something that we don't mind hearing a sermon about every now and then, but not too much, Pastor, because I don't like that one. Or is it something that we have a passion about, a conviction about, that we would be willing, just like Jesus, to empty ourselves of anything that would exalt us so that we can go and pursue peace with those who have none? I want to give you a couple more passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Once again, the word pursue is used. Pursue meaning to chase after, to go for it, meaning you have to move. I can't pursue anything standing still. Can you imagine a bank robbery taking place and the police standing at the bank saying, yes, we're in pursuit? Hot pursuit. High speed chase. doesn't work that way. But to pursue something means you're moving. You're moving. You and I are called to move. Move out of our comfort zone. Move out of our things that, that keep us from stepping out and moving into these areas of Christianity. The things that would be a distraction. The things that would be a hindrance. Some of those things might even be things that God's given us, but it's been misprioritized. We're called to move. We're called to move in pursuit of something. And according to the way it reads in Romans 14, 19, we're called to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I think that's a bumper sticker right there. The building up of one another. We're called to be the movers. 
We're called to be the ones that go to engage. We don't wait for those to call us. Well, pastor, I'd like to make an appointment with you. I need my life built up, so are you free Tuesday? But we come to the place where we can see, you know what, something's stirring in that guy. I'm going to pursue what that is. We become the movers, the instigators, the makers of peace. And I think when we hear a message like this, we just think about handling conflict. But you can make peace in a situation where you're not a part of the conflict. Somebody cannot be at peace over their life financially. Someone cannot be at peace over their marriage. Somebody cannot be at peace over their job or their workplace. But you can carry the encouragement of Jesus Christ, the counsel of the Most High, into that situation and help make peace for them. And we're called to be makers of peace. I want to give you another passage here. 1 Peter chapter 3. It's two verses, 11 and 12. Seek peace. Again, that means you're looking for it and pursue it. That means you're going after it. Seek peace and pursue it. Four. Can you say four? Yeah, four is an important word there. Four is interchangeable with the word because. Right? Like if I were to say... I'm ready for this pastor to finish, for I'm hungry. That would be the same as me saying, I'm ready for this pastor to finish because I'm hungry. For and because are interchangeable. So let's read this passage and introduce the word because. Seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears attend to their prayer. How many of you would say, I want God watching over my life? Oh, hands should fly up. How many of you would say, I want God to hear my prayer? Oh, I do. I'm sure not interested in wasting his time or my time. Well, that word because that we introduced there in the place of four reveals something. It's revealing the cause of an effect. We have cause and effect that we can look to here. Pursue the things which make for peace. Seek it and pursue it. And when we do that, this wonderful effect can be revealed to us. God's presence moving in our lives. It's one verse after the next confirming the same thing. The pursuit of peace is a priority. That peace is made. It doesn't just happen. And it's made by you and me when we pursue it and when we seek it. I want to give you a few things that prevent peace. Now, we're going to move quickly through these, but this is important to me. I think it's important for us to not just talk about peace and come into an agreement that, yes, it's a priority, but to come together to make a commitment to see to it that it becomes a reality in our lives, the pursuit of it, the prioritization of it in our words, in our actions. So I want to give you a list of things that I see in the Scripture that prevent peace so that we can examine our lives for these things for the purpose of purging them out. I want to give you this to start with. Now, don't think that I'm talking directly to you. Number one, wickedness. Wickedness. We get offended over words like this. I called a woman wicked one time and she got mad. Can you believe that? It's just a word, right? It's biblical. She didn't like it. Wicked's doing bad stuff on purpose. Doing bad stuff on purpose. I've been around people that have done bad stuff, but they didn't know it. 
And when you point out that it's bad, they're embarrassed by it. They're, they're convicted. And if you don't handle that correctly, it becomes ashamed, which is the devil's work. That's not God. But they want to change it quickly. And then there's wicked. I've heard wicked before. Wicked, yeah, I did it, and I'd do it all over again, so back off. It's wicked. Wickedness will prevent peace. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 22. There's no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. When wickedness exists in our lives, when we become stubborn and aggressive, when we become domineering, there's going to be an absence of peace. Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your law have a great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Proverbs 16, verse 7, it reads like this. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. When we can lay down wickedness and say, you know, I know that's wrong and I'm going to quit doing it. We open up the door for God to do something great. Where even the people that hate our guts, God makes peace between us. Something incredible happens. A, a doorway is open. An opportunity is given for peace to be made. Another thing that will hinder peace, remember that first one is wickedness. If you're writing these down, this would be the second one, anxiety. Anxiety. Now that may seem like it's kind of a no-brainer because many of us would say anxiety is the opposite of peace. But I'm not so sure that's the case. We'll see in a scripture here in just a little bit. But I'll give you a passage of Scripture here that you can put under anxiety. If we're finding anxiety existing in our lives, it's going to hinder the peace that God's brought into us through Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It starts off with this as an instruction. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then now this sentence, listen carefully. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Now I think this is awesome for a couple of reasons. One, it's just an amazing promise. But two, it makes me feel better about a lot of things that have happened in my life or even happening right now. I love that it doesn't just say, you know, be grateful. And offer up your desires and your needs to God with prayer and thanksgiving, and He'll take care of it. It never says the problem's going to go away. It just says God's going to guard your heart and your mind with peace. Isn't that interesting? Because there's tons of problems I've prayed about that didn't go away. But when we come to a place where we can see, I'm going to choose not to be anxious for this. I'm going to be grateful that God has given me a wonderful life, that He's anointed me with great things and surrounded me by the most incredible people. I'm going to rejoice in these things and I'm going to let what I desire be known to God. And then I'm just going to simply let peace do its powerful work and guard my heart and my mind. It's a wonderful promise. Wickedness will prevent peace. Anxiety will prevent peace. Confusion will prevent peace. Confusion. Confusion is one of those things 
that I am familiar with, I have a house with children in it. Yes. And sometimes it can get a little confusing. But confusion is something that God really has no part in. In fact, he clears it up. If you want to write this down for your notes, I encourage it. 1 Corinthians 14.33 God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. Remember that word of, meaning possession. There are times where I'll be dealing with something and it just gets confusing. Things get garbled or messed up. And, and maybe it's me, maybe it's the other end, who knows. But I do know this, when I begin to see confusion, I know there's a hindrance to peace and it's time to pause and step back. Not give up and retreat, but just come into an understanding that this confusion is not of God and we need to clear it up. If there's going to be peace in this situation, we've got to get the confusion out. Now, no hands go up here, but husbands and wives in the room, how many of you have ever fought? Yeah. And how many of you remember like that worst fight ever, but then you find this, you're like, you can't remember what it was about. You just remember it was bad, right? See, that's confusion. It's like, it's just nonsense. But we've got enemies that want to bring separation and division, and we don't even need enemies because we can just be jerks ourselves. And that confusion just becomes foul and divisive. And before you know it, things that you never stepped into intentionally are happening right before your eyes. Confusion will prevent peace. So wickedness prevents it. Anxiety prevents peace. Confusion prevents peace. Here's one that will prevent peace. Number four, revenge or vengeance. We have any vindictive people in the house? Yeah. God bless you. May the Lord bless you for your honesty. That was awesome. You're the best. <laughs> How true. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. This is a big one. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Never. Can you say never? See, never. That word is absolute. It's absolute. There's, there's not any exception. You can just let that one word just blow your mind for a second. Never. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. If possible. I like the way that's worded. That makes me feel better. Can you say if possible? I mean, if possible. So, And, and by the way, God's if possible is different than yours because all things are possible with God. So here we go. So never pay back evil for evil to anyone. If possible, so far as it concerns you. Some of your scripture may say depends on you. As far as it's your business, be at peace with all men. What an instruction. I mean, do you just kind of feel like when you hear these verses, you feel like, you know what, I think if we catch this, this could really be something. Like, this could really change the way I see Christianity in life. This could change my family. This could change everything that I've ever thought. And it could change it for the better. So wickedness prevents peace. Anxiety prevents peace. Confusion prevents peace. Revenge prevents peace. And then I've got this last one that means a lot to me, but it might be kind of a stretch for you. Some of you may be able to relate. I want to give you the word that I have written down, but then I want to explain it. 
The word is chaos, like chaos will prevent peace. Well, again, that one sounds like, well, yeah, no, duh, because chaos is the absence of peace. Well, that's not necessarily the case. But chaos will prevent peace. Now, here's what I want to explain. The reason why I wrote down chaos was because it's one word, and it sounds catchy, right? It's a trap for a pastor. Let me tell you what I want you to write down. Lack of boundaries. Because that's what chaos is. In my house, if my children have had too many Skittles and they're crawling up the walls, it's a lack of boundaries. We stay off the walls. At least we're supposed to. A lack of boundaries will always prevent peace. Now that says something, that you and I, in order to have peace, we need to have boundaries. Not just have boundaries, but enforce them. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Remember, we're talking about peace. It's necessary for us to have boundaries, healthy boundaries, righteous boundaries, in every aspect of living, the workplace, marriage, family. Good boundaries produce something amazing. You can write this down, Psalm 147, verse 14. Now, God's speaking about a nation here. He's speaking about Israel, but I believe it applies to you and to me. If our lives are meant to be cities on a hill, then I think this can apply to us. Psalm 147, verse 14. God makes peace within your borders. Peace within your borders. So oftentimes for me, the question is, where are my borders? If in my house there's not peace, have my borders been violated? Have I even set them up in the first place? Am I operating in that role that God has placed me in as a parent? Within marriage, the same thing. Within business, within any aspect of your life, what are the borders? What are the boundaries? Because within these boundaries, this is where the Word promises peace. And I will defend those boundaries Uphold those borders in order to see peace prevail, to see God move in my life. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here for your notes before we close. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18. As it concerns borders and boundaries, I think this is an interesting passage just to hold on to. As you consider what the boundaries are and the borders are, you can see the things that are at stake if we fail to maintain those righteous boundaries or we give up monitoring those borders. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18, Violence will not be heard again in your land nor devastation or destruction within your borders. But you'll call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Well, you and I have come to know salvation. And we've been anointed to praise. I think this verse applies to a city. I think it applies to a nation. I believe that wholeheartedly. I also believe it applies to a believer. I think each one of us have stepped into Christianity and God has put righteous boundaries. Now, whether those boundaries are defended or whether those walls are let to crumble is up to us. And you can see vivid imagery throughout the Old Testament of that exact situation happening literally. 
But we can have a conviction to understand that those boundaries are important. That is what holds peace together in this house. That is what holds peace in this marriage. That's what holds peace in this family. That's what holds peace in this church. That's what holds peace in my business. That's what holds peace in every aspect of my living. And I will see those boundaries as having been sovereignly set by God. And I will defend them to the very end if I have to. There's all kinds of things wanting to test your boundaries. All kinds of sin and corruption. Just looking for a little crack in the wall. Because they can turn a little crack into a gaping hole in no time. We need to monitor the walls, monitor the boundaries. And see to it that peace is allowed to exist. I told you before we're going to find out how to be sons of God. Being sons and daughters of God. I want to give you this passage. We're going to close with this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. Jesus is preaching and he's sharing wonderful words of blessing. And included in these wonderful words of blessing. He declares to you and to me. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. You know, Jesus wasn't just looking for a dramatic way to end a sermon. He wasn't just saying it because he felt manipulated to encourage some people or build them up. But he's revealing something absolute and true concerning our identity. What will be known as, not just by those in this world, but what will be known as even in the heavens. I want us as believers to be known as sons of God. I want every angel in heaven and demon in hell, wherever they're at, it doesn't matter to me. I want them to know that you're a son of God. I want them to know that we're devoted and committed to making peace at all times. It's become a priority. I don't care who's right or wrong. I just want to pursue peace. And let's let God bring justice in this. He'll sort out who's right and who's wrong. But as for me and you, let us pursue peace. And the pursuit of peace can come in a number of ways. That's why it's important for us to be spirit-led, sensitive, refusing to be stubborn and carnal in our thinking, but to be sensitive and let God lead us into those things. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.